This is Restless. Pastor Michael, we are back. Part two, top two, not two, uh, actually kind of the bottom, but we are reacting in part two to TGC's good faith debate on what the pro-life movement should focus on. Pastor Michael, I think everyone kind of knows our thoughts on how this has went so far. How are you doing tonight? Are you excited to finish this good faith debate? I'm excited to finish. <laughs> I would like to be done with it. It's just, it's been a bit of a painful one, admittedly, but uh, I'm glad we get to talk about it. I think it's helpful. I think a lot of people find it helpful, hopefully, as we walk through it to hear why it is that we would have problems with some of the things said and why we would like some of the things that are said and be able to work it out a little bit more clearly than just um, the kind of conversation that goes on on the video itself. If, if you're not really sure what we're talking about right now, go back, find part one of this good faith debate where feelings are felt by me, especially um, as we watch a debate on what the pro-life movement should focus on. As we hear what Pastor Michael and I believe from Karen Swallow Pryor is the worst presentation we've heard in the good faith debates and um, and also the best presentation we've heard from the good faith debates from Scott Husendorf. So because Pastor Michael had so much better of a time than I did last time, I have brought pie for myself to eat while I watch this. Um, and so um, I'm hoping that that when the white claw alone was not enough, the pie will uh, take me over the finish line. It's definitely, it's definitely going to help. Um, I ate a lot of pie earlier today um, and washed it down with some delicious raw milk. Um, I mentioned to you earlier already that uh, this is the real deal raw milk. It's the kind that the Amish just milk right into a pail, stick the pail in their ice house, and then just pour it into our jar when we show up. So it's, it's great. Um, it's probably not the best thing to drink right before you record a bunch of content for a podcast, uh, but that's okay. You'll be eating pie, and I will only have a slightly uh, milked up windpipe. <laughs> so so it, it, I'm sure it'll be fun for everybody listening. <laughs> it will. And I would like the Amish to call me when they start making some raw version of White Claw. I'd be interested in trying that. So let's, uh, without much further ado, let's get back into this so we can get this done. Extinction isn't a good one. Well, I appreciate the way that, you've def that you identify that those in the pro-life movement, even if a woman in some cases chooses to go through with the abortion, they will walk with them to try and help them. That's every pregnancy center and in the I, country. I, I appreciate yeah. that you pointed that out. So, okay, so this is right where we stopped last time. I just want to point out really briefly, uh, man, there is no moral equivalency to helping protect children in the womb and helping a mother who just murdered their child, right? I, I, I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be merciful or that, that or whatever, but there is no way that those are the same thing. And I yeah. don't think we should pretend like they are because it makes us look good to people who like abortion right um all right yeah there's not there's not a moral equivalence and this is something we talked about a lot the last time i assume it will be coming up again trying to make um things that are not morally equivalent morally equivalent right so caring for the unborn and just trying to keep them alive um, versus caring for somebody who made sure that they were not alive right those are very different things uh, and, and the way that those are done are going to be different uh, but that's that's something that's been done over and over in this debate, which arguably is why the Gospel Coalition wants to do it, right? Because they're trying to shift um, the more evangelical belief that abortion is just pure evil, um, and they want to shift it in such a way that that evangelicals are much more uh, accepting and and uh, go a little bit lighter on abortion. All right, let's see let's see what uh, Jim has to ask Karen now. Um, Karen, one of the arguments that Scott made, he said that changing pro-life to whole life, which he takes to be your position, appeals to a false sense of moral equivalency. Do you agree with that statement and why? Well, I think that what I mean by pro-life should be whole life is not exactly what Scott described. I don't think that pro-life ministries and crisis pregnancy centers um, have to take on every issue or should take on every issue. I don't think that any 
mission um, needs to take on all of the other issues. And so for me to be being pro-life, um, pro-life being whole life means more in our philosophy, our principles, our posture, um, our, um, our, our rhetoric. Well, uh, and I do ah. agree with Scott that um, that there is a danger of a moral equivalency that is not that we we do need to avoid because when we are talking about some sort of act um, that will take away a person's physical human life, that is a more dire and pressing need than something that affects the quality of their life in an ongoing way. Now, those things can't be completely separated. I do think that, um, you know, we have, a, we've bred a whole culture that is anti-life and that that quality of life or quality of a, of a death culture, if you want to call it that, leads to more abortion. So they can't be completely separated, but I do think that we have to draw moral distinctions um, and not make those false moral equivalencies. Scott? That sounds great, uh, but the first half of this video, we heard her do that over and over. Right, we heard, we just, I mean, she did that over and over in the first half of this video. And so that, like what she just said is great. That's true. Um, we should not draw those moral equivalents. She agreed with Scott, uh, but then, but that's what she's been doing. But of course, if it's just a rhetoric game, oh, if man. it's sophistry, like we've talked about, you can do that. You can say, well, obviously um, I, I also agree with you, right? I've been disagreeing with you, but obviously I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, again, right? What specifics could we, should we think about well in our philosophy and our rhetoric what are like again again he keeps giving like real life practical examples of here's what we need to be doing to protect the unborn we shouldn't let other things be confused as doing that the end if she just said i agree with you again she basically has just either forfeited the debate which obviously she has not made a position, right? There isn't a position to argue against um, because at this point, all she's defending is Christians should be willing to use rhetoric to defend more things than children in the womb. And, and, and all God's people said, yeah, I mean, no one, no one ever argued. Yeah, ob right, ob obviously, because every, we already do that. Everybody does that. What are you even saying then? Yes. Yes. You make the argument that a holistic approach to life places unfan, unfair demands on battle-weary pro-lifers. If, if that's the case, what can the church do to come alongside and help that that would not be a problem? Yeah, I think our churches need to do four things on abortion. Number one, they need to preach a biblical view of human value. In other words, human beings have intrinsic dignity in virtue of the kind of thing they are. They don't have attributed dignity based on their accomplishments or age. They need to preach that biblical view. Secondly, they need to preach that abortion is a sin, that it intentionally takes the life of an image bearer. And we see this taught. Exodus 23 teaches it in the Old Covenant. We see it in Matthew 5 in the New. Uh, these are clear scriptural principles. Number three, and, and this is huge, we have got to equip our people how to make a case for the pro-life view in the public square. I teach at Summit Ministries, which is a Christian worldview conference every summer. I'm getting ready to head there soon. I love it. You know, I'm the old guy. I'm 62. And I go out there and I, I teach these kids pro-life apologetics. You know what I hear? I hear overwhelmingly from these students, we have never heard a pro-life apologetics presentation. Now, these kids are coming from the best churches in America. I mean, large churches with pastors I know who faithfully preach the word. But when we survey the kids, which we've been doing now for five years, less than 2.5% of the kids have ever heard a pro-life presentation about how to make a case for life with friends who don't go to church. And we wonder why we're losing. Our problem isn't that we're not whole life enough. Our problem is nobody's hearing a pro-life presentation. They don't know what abortion is. They don't know the arguments. And when they hear it, the light bulb goes off. The light bulb. Our, our team, we speak in Catholic high schools all the time, large Catholic high schools filled with secular kids. And over and over again, they're like, we've never heard this. Uh, it blows their minds. So our churches need to do that. Fourth thing, and this is crucial. 
We have got to minister to the precious men and women who've been wounded by abortion, who have ruled themselves out of any God-glorifying ministry because they got a ghost of a dead child in their background. And we need to come along and say, we want you to know that the Christian gospel speaks to your situation, that Jesus came and bore in full the judgment of God you deserved so that you could be adopted into his family as a dearly loved child. And if you believe in Jesus, even if you've had an abortion, God the Father is no longer your judge. He's your heavenly father and you get adopted into his family. But you know what our churches are doing? Because they want to spare women and men who've been involved with abortion guilt, they want to spare them the guilt trip. They don't say anything about it. They're not sparing those men and women guilt. They're sparing them healing because unconfessed sin is keeping them out of full fellowship with Christ. So I think those four things are what we need to be focused on and uh, helping people come to terms with what a pro-life church should look like. Uh, are you muted, Matt? I am muted. And I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm going insane because it's like, uh, uh, Scott, could you tell us any practical things that we could do so people wouldn't feel so burdened by the pro-life thing? Yes, let me give you four incredibly practical, biblical, inspiring things we could all do. Specific, boom, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, let's, I'd love, Pastor Michael, uh, somebody from whatever his ministry, Life is Best, or whatever they call it, dude, let's get one of those people, that'd be great. Um, compared to, it's, you know, there's the philosophy of how we think about things. I, it just, it just blows my mind uh, that that's where we're at in this debate at this point. Because that again, would... I know that we repeat this over and over, but the the real question is not, okay, well, who's winning the debate? Well, obviously everybody knows, but it's not really a debate. And the real right. question is, why is TGC doing this? Why are they doing it in the way that they do it? They're not having a free, unmoderated discussion where Scott Klusendorf can just ask direct questions. Everything's being done through this moderator that every time is saying, wow, great point over here. Great point over here. Don't we all agree? Isn't there room for all of us? It's trying to shift the Overton window in a certain direction. It's trying to gatekeep what is and isn't an okay opinion. In this case, trying to broaden the opinion of evangelicals toward a more accepting view of pro-abortion politicians and things like that. Um, that's very clearly what they're trying to accomplish through this. Uh, and so, yeah, to, to hold these two things up then as, hey, aren't they doing just as good of a job? Hey, aren't these two positions just doing the same thing, but from, you know, different ends? And isn't that just okay? No. Right. No, it's it's obviously not. I mean, it's. I hope it's clear in watching it. I think it's clear. Well, I really appreciate your response. And, you know, with your fourth point there, it makes me think of some of the most fruitful and effective people in the pro-life movement are people who have been a part of an abortion and seen the grace of God in their life and found a purpose to help other people see that same grace. And Can save I say, I don't people like, to... uh, it really bugs me, the language of, like, they were a part of an abortion. Mm. I think that right there is actually doing what Scott Klusendorf just pointed out that a lot of people do. They're trying to spare these people of the guilt. You can't spare them of the guilt. You have they have to recognize and be shown and be told, no, this is you, you took the life of a child, of your own child. Right? Like that, if you paid somebody to murder your child, that's what you did. And that's horrifying. It's horrible. And Scott Klusendorf is right. You can be forgiven. Right. If yes. you're listening to this and, and you have uh, you have uh, killed your child in abortion, you can be forgiven of that. You really can. And you can experience forgiveness for that. But you can't do that if you hide from what you did. Right. right? You have to be forgiven as all of us have to be forgiven uh, at the foot of the cross. You have to be forgiven it like by God at his judgment seat. Um, you have to be willing to submit yourself to him and his judgment. And trying to obfuscate and say, well, I was ignorant or, well, I was a part of it, but it wasn't really me doing it. It was the doctor or something like that. No, you were a part of this. 
you you now it, there could be cases where this was forced upon somebody that's not a normal case but that does happen in which case maybe that you know we would say that there there really can be a way in which we'd say you really don't bear guilt for this right this was done to you uh, but for the vast majority of people it's not that you were a part of an abortion you committed murder that's that's the problem and and the point is that that scott made eloquently is that we are saying that is how deep the grace of god goes murderers come right adulterers come such were some of you be washed in the blood of the lamb that's the point and you aren't washed in the blood of the lamb for unfortunate circumstances or mistakes or accidents or things beyond your control you are washed through the for the sinful will the volitional decisions that you made and the nature behind it right yeah. that's what we're talking about also i don't know that necessarily um a person repentant from uh who's repentant of abortion is necessarily the person we need on the front lines of this i mean this yeah. is a thing we always assume right if you were caught up in this or if you were part of this you're the person we want to minister to don't know that that's always i'm not saying it's never possible or never yeah, like that could be a powerful testimony of how god has brought somebody to the point where they recognize the the wicked thing that they did and somebody who has the experience to be able to share hey this is how horrible and yeah. detestable and wicked this really is uh, but you don't that's not uh you are right this is something that we do in so many areas we've talked about this I, and this is a pet peeve of mine, uh, but we we think that, well, the person that sinned in this way or was sinned against in this way is going to have the best vantage point to right. then think about it, to teach about it, to share about it with others. And I actually think that's almost exactly opposite. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is the point. It's not that you couldn't be involved. It's not that you couldn't have a powerful testimony. It's that what we do is exactly what we, we you said. We say... We need to have this person explain to us how to do this ministry. We need to have this person explain to us what we should say, what the right thing to do in these circumstances are. When actually this person um, is is in no, like having a sinful past is not a qualification for knowing how to minister. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it's just not, it. in many cases, it's not healthy for them yeah. to be that the focus of their life right if that is your again like it's it's the the principle i use from scriptures where paul says don't be quick to lay hands on a new convert so if a person is recently repented of 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 a sin and come into the light our first call isn't well make them in charge of that ministry doesn't mean god won't use them and couldn't bring them to do that ministry at some point of course because uh, then none of us would have ministry because we've all been sinners. But but that, man, we're so quick to be like, well, this person's in charge now and they know what they're talking about. But um, anyways, it's just it's 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 it was a it's a bad comment and question being same pain. You know, and for your third point, I can remember uh, being in my 20s and hearing apologetic debates the first time. And one in particular was, it's my body. I can do what I want to do with it. And somebody said, no, you can't. You can't sell your organs. You can't prostitute. You know, there's lots of things you can't right. do with your body. And so I appreciate that you're working to that end to, to give people the apologetics that they need and the information to be able yeah. to equip the next generation. Karen, Scott asked what exactly it means when whole life advocates tell the pro-life movement to broaden their operational objectives and express concerns that that could overextend and even bankrupt the movement. What would you say that it means and do you share the same concerns? The first time that I had a conversation with Scott, he told me about this pressure that at least one pro-life organization has to change so drastically in the way that it's organized and its mission is fulfilled and its money is um, allotted. And I really wasn't aware that um, this whole pro-life is whole life um, rhetoric was having more than a rhetorical um, and policy effect on an organization. 
Oh man. I do wonder, to be honest, if it's a bit of a straw man argument, because I don't think that the people who are well-founded in their criticism of the... Just to be clear, we've just learned, if anyone's straw manning in this debate, it's Scott Lucendor. I can't... It literally was just, I can't believe my words had effect on how people acted. I know. (laughs) Words aren't supposed to do that. Words just sit there. Words are just rhetoric. Oh, this is so bad. It's a rhetoric and policy. This is There it is. When Pastor Michael says this is supposed to have to do with political alignments, she just, that is what she said. She wants you to talk differently and is upset that that apparently that did something and right and she wants you to talk in a way to convince democrats that if you would just drop the abortion thing we'll be on your side and two she wants to support policies that generally uh the evangelicals who have been more conservative would have opposed yeah and notice so we're gonna watch this happen now but notice what she's in the middle of saying um, those who are well-founded in their criticism okay. would never mean for those things to happen, right? So so she's going to try to say, well, no, the, the only people that say this that mean it in the right way are the people that agree with me um, as I rhetorically get out of the consequences of this rhetoric. The pro-life movement, pro-life politicians, or even pro-life individuals are basing that criticism on the way we spend our time and money. I do think it is more, again, our posture, our heart attitude, our rhetoric toward other issues that involve not just quality (laughs) of life, but actual literal lives that are in danger, whether it's refugees, whether it's black lives, whether it's anyone who's oppressed. I think that is the heart of it. I don't think that anyone who would think through this issue uh, would think that every single uh, ministry or nonprofit organization has to change their mission and sh- and change their budget to cover all the issues. I think that people just want to know that we care about all human lives and believe that we do. Um, not based on how we spend our money, but actually how we speak of other people and how we live our lives. Scott, do you want to respond to that? Oh, good. I'm glad he's going to get a direct response. Yeah, let's just let's listen to him respond because we've responded to that already every time she spoke. <laughs> we've responded to that exact statement every time she spoke. Is this is is she just unhappy that evangelicals were at least cautious to jump on Black Lives Matter? Is that really like it's are we at, are we at, at that point? Like we're just there. Unhappy like that- with voting for Trump unhappy that we are not willing to get behind the the kind of culturally hip movements it, having to do with other issues because that powerful rhetoric was used to hide things ironically also pro-abortion like yep. that is why that right explicitly like very clearly used yes. for that purpose and so the rhetoric while powerful and while good and actually plenty of pro-life ministries have actually used the rhetoric of black lives matter to talk about african-american children killed in the womb yep um is i mean like dude if that like it's like well that's where we're at like that's the most like i mean it's lame but yeah let's let scott let's let him let's let him respond Yeah, I mean, I go back to that pro-life leader I referenced in my opening. This is a leader of a major pro-life organization, perhaps the largest. And he said that pro-life groups as a whole, not just pregnancy centers, but pro-life groups as a whole must programmatically address family issues, discipleship issues, marriages, fatherhood issues. That is specifically saying organizational resources need to go there. I'll give you another example. In 2017, right here in DC, I attended a major evangelical pro-life conference. One of the keynote speakers there, who I will not name, he was the keynote speaker, told pro-lifers that they needed to rewrite their job descriptions. They needed to be womb to the tomb. And if they weren't giving equal focus to these other issues, they were destroying their Christian witness. Now, here's what's really ironic about this. The man who was speaking 
made a pitch that we need to protect all image bearers, except when he doesn't want to protect one group, the unborn. The guy wasn't even pro-life. He's pro-choice. He believes we should leave abortion legal because it's too expensive to end it. Now, imagine the, the horrificness him, of the statement. Amen. Say to a minority suffering discrimination, um, we'll protect you as long as it doesn't cost us too much. Uh, we'll work to reduce racial discrimination, but we're not going to make it illegal. I, I mean, that would just be horrific to any of us to hear this today, and rightfully so. So we had a speaker, a keynote speaker at a, quote, evangelical conference telling pro-lifers to rewrite their job description, and he's not even one of us. So this is a real problem within people that ought to know better who think they're our friends and they're not. And again, I'm not talking here about Karen. Karen is absolutely pro-life. This woman has been arrested five times. I do not question her pro-life credentials here, okay? Let's be real clear about this. Um, what we're having here is a discussion about who's going to get control of the operational side of our movement. Mm. And there is a real threat. And actually, I've been cataloging a lot of this and uh, I've included it all in the new edition of the Case for Life that will be coming out uh, next year. But uh, yes, uh, it is a threat. Well, right. yeah, there it is. That's so. That's such a huge, huge point. And this is how this often works, by the way. It is the people that are trying to get a hold of the budget of the actual operational policy of the institutions that often want to change these things. So as much as as KSP might want to shift this to, well, it's just rhetoric. And anybody who's doing anything with that rhetoric, well, they're not, they're not the real critics like I want to be. Um, that You might say that, but guess what? This is what's happening on the ground because of people like you and the things that you're saying. So you need to recognize that and take responsibility for your rhetoric and, and see that that's actually harming the work of pro-life uh, organizations. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think that this is right. This is the issue that there's there is a large scale institutional play, as there always are when there's tons yeah. of money. Like when 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 an organization knows there are people who will reliably just write the check because they trust them. There is always going to be a danger of shift and people wanting to use that for other things. Um, and I do think it is, um, I don't know why Karen Swallow Pryor hasn't really seen, doesn't seem to be able to interact with these things. Um, I, um, I know Scott doesn't question her pro-life credentials. I don't think that she's done anything that like is like, no, she actually is secretly pro-abortion. I think, um, I think that the issue is, of course, it is on this like, she wants other things to be tied to it that she supports, right? She was on the Animal Rights Commission of the ERLC, right? There are other things she believes that deserve to be put alongside of it that she's just as committed to. Um, I, I I agree with you, though, Pastor Michael. The one thing we could use Scott doing, and I wonder if it's not allowed by TGC's non-debate rules. I mean, we it would be very helpful if he said a name the name yeah give us the name of that guy that was speaking at this conference right and who chose to have that guy speak at a major evangelical pro-life conference dude you got to start saying that stuff uh because otherwise people don't like people don't all have the discernment of scott klusendor right there and were I people at that conference uh guaranteed who heard it and they said wow i guess that's what we should do yep and i would love and I would love to know who that is in the organization. Uh, right. Maybe if I was there, I would have caught it. Maybe not. But I would love to know because as a person who would like to support pro-life organizations, I would love to know like, oh, I guess this is not a. Yeah, I don't want to support them. Yeah. Well, there, I want to move more to the political side of this. Um, I know. With the, and I'm going to ask a question. And I'm going to direct it to both of you, because there is a political side, which yeah, is absolutely. interesting. You know, you hear you hear people saying often now to a pastor, "Just preach the gospel. Don't get political." Well, the Christian issues are inherently political, and yeah. and maybe 
TGC was the one just saying just they're literally <laughs> I think he was just quoting an article from TGC. <laughs> articles from TGC. Oh man. That's so funny. Oh wow. Be none as much as as this one right now. So what would you say to the Christian who has been conflicted? Uh, this is going more to the grassroots issue because they have two candidates. They can vote for Donald Trump, who is against, you know, who's against abortion. And here is why everybody, ladies and gentlemen, we've been waiting. How long into this debate? We've been waiting 41 minutes into this debate to figure out why did TGC allow a debate on the. We told you. We told you this is what it was about. We did. Why would they have a debate on something so esoteric and the rhetoric and and what Christians should think about what pro-life organizations are doing? Why? Why? This is why. Donald J. Trump is why. Oh, man. And and I'll be honest. When I first brought this up early in this debate, I was like, oh, man, if we're wrong, we are going to look like we're just projecting and are going to be made fools of. But (laughs) but you knew, though. We knew. We knew, Matt. As much as I hate that we knew it, we knew it. (laughs) I know. All right, Jim, bail us out, man. Here we go. And but to use your terms, his Christian ethic is lacking. (laughs) Or you can go to Biden, who supports government funded abortions. But some people feel like he would provide the social safety net for women not to get into that position in the first place. So there, what would yeah, you say to the Christian who is just oh, really confused, tense, needs some guidance on this issue as it pertains to political side of this argument? Pastor Michael, who do you think is going to give a clearer advice <laughs> on how you should think through that issue in well, be interesting. this may be where uh ksb goes clear because i know that she's been uh quite the uh proponent of of uh never trump so we'll see so so what you're saying is this is why she wanted to be in this when she, <laughs> she also had zero points to make in the debate, probably up until this moment. Ah, we'll see. Rhetoric. We're going to find out. We are going to find out. It's a rhetoric thing. I think we need to back up and say, what is the Christian obligation politically? And I want to point out two. Amen. Number one, we need to apply our Christian worldview holistically. That means that our Christian theology applies to politics and the bifurcation that takes place between people who say, I'm going to be gospel-centered, but I'm not going to be political. That's bifurcating. That's splitting the Christian worldview in a way that it should not be split. Our Christian worldview applies to everything, everything. Secondly, our responsibility as pro-life Christians is to vote to limit the evil and promote the good insofar as possible, given current political realities. Now, some Christians erroneously think that if you don't have perfection in a law, you can't support it, that that would be compromise. Uh, Look, politics is always the art of the possible. And there is never going to be a perfect political candidate, and there's never going to be a perfect pro-life law. But you are held responsible to limit the evil and promote the good insofar as you can. And it was interesting, historically, Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, was pressing Lincoln to be more forthright on his anti-slavery views and was pressing uh, President Lincoln saying, you're, you're, you're not really coming right out and giving us everything that's needed here. And he was basically accusing Lincoln of compromising by endorsing an incremental approach to the end of slavery. And yet Douglas himself at Lincoln's funeral came around to admit that the president was wise politically and knew what he was doing, that it was a matter of the art of the possible. And it had it not been for Lincoln's political prudence, there would have been no end to slavery. So Christians will always feel that tension of, hey, that candidate, uh, she's got some things I don't like. And uh, that's not good. Um, There will be other times where we go, okay, this guy lines up more with a biblical worldview, so we'll go that way. But we're never going to get a perfect candidate. And that's not a good excuse to stay out of the political realm. Okay. All right. What a great answer, huh? 
It was great. Yeah, it was very good. Um, I feel yeah. like it was uh, a pretty good way, too, of him not like he he was a little political and that he didn't come out and say, yep, for sure. I'm behind Trump. Right. Which is good. <laughs> like, that's a fine that's a fine position to to have. Hey, we're not going to get the perfect things, but we are going to be held accountable as those with some responsibility in our political system. We will be held accountable for the way we seek to. Uh, limit evil and and help what is good uh, right. yeah that's pretty good and that a christian that does that from a clear conscience you know god is not going to be like yeah well what about those boxes of documents in the mar-a-lago closet like <laughs> right right it's not right. How, this that's not how this is going to go man and i just think it's so clear I do think maybe sometime we should talk about the incrementalists and the abolitionists are bros that if it's anything but full abolition, like uh, give us your quick, don't give us any explanation. Give us your yay, nay, or uh, nuance on abolitionism. In the- uh, I'll, I'll go nuance. I love these guys in a lot of ways. Um, I think that uh, sometimes they, in their zealousness, can be unhelpful. Like Just like it was said, um, by Frederick Douglass in that quote. I think that um, basically it's a kind of idealism. I love the passion. I love a lot of what they're doing. And as they have good effects on the political scene, I love that. I want that to happen. Um, I would love if we abolished abortion today, this moment, right? I, I love that Roe versus Wade was overturned. I love that in Wisconsin, we have a law from like 18... 69 or something like that um, that prohibits pretty much all abortion. I think there's some wiggle room in there that I don't like, but, um, and I know that our uh, very nice, very kind governor um, wants to remove that because he wants to butcher children. He wants children to be butchered. He's an evil man. Um, and so I, I'm glad that we have that law in the books. I, so I would love if we abolished abortion, right? That's I'm, I'm 100% in that camp in that way as a matter of, of tactic, I think that sometimes the idealist tactic um, does not work. As in the case, for instance, um, of a lot of radical abolitionists in in the case of slavery. We'll we'll just say that if you are part of your pro-life tactic is uh, picketing churches instead of picketing abortion clinics because they're not abolitionist enough, you might be getting something a little bit backwards. Um, I will say that all the pro-life people that said you should vote for Trump because of the incremental pro-life wins we will get basically were completely vindicated were right. when Roe was overturned. They were completely right. They were completely right on that. And I didn't, by the way, I didn't vote for Trump the first time. I actively um, tried to convince people not to vote for him. I did not believe what a lot of the pro-life folks believed he would be able to do and that he would do. Um, and I was wrong. I was wrong about that, uh, and it, I'm really glad uh, that yeah. I was wrong and that they were right. Well, let's give KSP her shot. What do you say? He's got- I agree so much with Scott's, um, don't ask me to repeat it, but his definition of what politics is and, and, and that tension that we as Christians will always um, live in, and I do think especially as um, Christians who live in America, um, in God's sovereignty. Um, we, we, that is a, an incredible talent that we have to steward our right to vote. Um, and so I do believe it is, it is part, of, part of our responsibility as, as those whom God has elected to have in this country who have this right to participate in the political process. We have to participate in some way. Um, I'll confess that um, that I used to put so much faith in politics. Um, I was driving up this morning um, from my home three hours south of the city um, and recalling how in my 20s I was just enamored with Washington, D.C. and the political life here. Um, I even um, mm-hmm. slept out on the sidewalk overnight, not far from here, on the steps of the Supreme Court uh, one night because I wanted to get in um, to hear the oral arguments in a pro-life case um, that I was involved in that had gone before the Supreme Court and got in there for a few minutes. And that's, those were my younger days. I don't sleep on sidewalks anymore. <laughs> um, 
But for many reasons since then, I am far less enamored of, of politics, not just as a person, but as a Christian. Um, and so I think, of course, as I said, we have sort of a God-given responsibility to steward the right that we have to be part of a political process um, as, as Americans. Um, but I do think that we have compromised too much and put too much faith in politics, and it has become an idol, and we are reaping the consequences for that. Um, just practically speaking, um, I have things in candidates that, that just eliminate them. If someone is in favor of legal abortion, then that's someone who won't get my vote. They are eliminated. If someone is a sexual abuser, um, that is a person that is eliminated. I will not vote for them. Now, this leaves often few choices, <laughs> um, but it's a false binary. Um, and it's this false binary that has gotten us where we are that says we have to choose between um, this candidate or that. There are third party candidates. There are write in votes. Every state is different. But we have um, we have um, shackled ourselves as Christians in America by buying into a system that um, has more possibilities than we've been willing to see. We've been used. We've allowed ourselves to be used. And so now, again, we are reaping the consequences for that, from that. And we have to have more faith um, in the possibilities. We have to have more faith in God being faithful to us because we are faithful by refusing to compromise, by voting for those who would support killing children or abusing women or many other um, very long list of things. Um, those are That's what it means to be whole life. Well, we have just... All right. We could do an entire podcast on that last minute of an answer yeah it yeah, was I, it is interesting by the way just how um clear scott klusendorf is um even though his position is not that the rhetoric is the most important thing uh, and yet when we get answers from ksp it just it just seems like you've got to kind of really you have to really pay attention or you have to really pay attention to what really is going on what's really like what what is the answer um, there's some stories, there's stuff around the answer, but then um, you kind of hit on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I just want us to play a little game where we just say, okay, and I'm, listen, I'm not saying this out of, of like, wow, that's such a crazy opinion that she has. This is an opinion that I have espoused at times. Okay. I think it's not right now. I, I, I don't think I'm right about this, but for instance, when I was um, actively trying to tell people you should not vote for Donald Trump. I was doing so out of the a lot of the exact same arguments that she has made. We've made an idol of politics. It's not a binary system. If all of us chose something else, what you know what would happen? And that's actually what I want us to think about. So we're dealing, in my opinion, with on the one hand basically a kind of idealism, right? This is why she can say no. This is about rhetoric, right? It's it's about uh, the heart. And then on the other hand, you have Scott Klusendorf, who's like, look at what's happening on the ground. Look at what's happening in real life. What's happening when, like, it, with actual people that are actually trying to stop the murder of children? Okay, I think you're dealing with basically an idealism versus a realism. But let's take the different approaches. If pro-life evangelicals took Karen Swallow's, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor's advice, what is the practical actual tangible effect of what happens. There's not enough of them to elect a third party candidate to the presidency or to most other offices. The practical effect is that the closest pro to pro-life, right? The, the, the closest politician to the kinds of people like a Donald Trump, who's not a good man, right? Who has all of these failures and yet was able to move the ball in the pro-life position, which I believe even he kind of thinks went too far, by the way. I think he said stuff like maybe that's gone a little too far, right? He's not a good guy. God, God used him um, for this purpose, but he, it doesn't make him good. But those who were willing to vote for him in this case actually were able to uh, move forward the pro-life agenda and protect a lot of children at this point. Think about the number of children that are currently alive that would not be alive if that had not happened. On the other hand, had that not happened, right? Had you taken the idealist route and maybe you feel really good about it, the practical effect of that would have been a radically pro-abortion president 
and and radically pro-abortion policies, or at least the vetoing of policies. And it would have been the the adding to the Supreme Court of radically pro-abortion Supreme Court justices. So in other words, the real, tangible, physical, real-world happenings, right? What what actually happens? Um, it matters, right? It matters how people ended up doing this. Uh, it actually had an effect. And it may have felt like it would maybe make you feel good if you don't have to get like get your hands dirty and do the hard work of choosing between two not great options. Uh, but ultimately, that's that's practically what you have to do if you want to accomplish anything. If you just want to feel good in your heart, you can maybe do that without being a part of this. Which, by the way, I you know I don't think it's a sin to not vote. I don't think it's a sin to vote for a third party. I just think when you're dealing with what will actually be beneficial to promoting life, one of those is clearly the better option, or at least at least you should say has been. There may come a time when it makes sense for evangelicals by and large to join with some kind of a third party candidate to get them that number that they need to be elected. It simply wouldn't happen at this point. It, it actually can't happen at this point. And this is the big thing. So, yeah, let me I, I that's just so good. One, something I agree with Karen Swallow prior about it is a sin to vote for anyone who wants to legalize abortion, which do you know what that like? The, I just don't think we've really because even on the other side, when she's trying to say it's a sin to vote for Trump because he's a sexual abuser. Right. Um, again. The problem with that is also alleged, right? The man would deny it right there. Like, again, I'm not saying he's a great guy. You're defending him, Matt. You're def you love Trump too much. Again, let's think about this. One, that again, this is this. We're still not at a moral equivalency yet. No. One, an entire party has said, we will make sure this is legal forever, forever, forever. We are going to add this sucker to the Constitution. That's and and we are all going to say, wow, it'd be a sin to support that. And we should all agree, even though we don't, which would be a much better debate. Um, two, there is a man who supports the other side who is personally compromised. Those are not the same thing. They're not the same. Yeah. Really. Now, that might give you pause to think this man will do anything good. Of course. And it did for me, right? I mean, it did. I, like, I just literally didn't trust because of those personal qualifications. And it should. And that's fine. And and this is why there are lots of political options. This is why when we talk about the politics of the possible, all of these things, there are lots of options open to Christians. Why? Because the having one goal, we can... It, grant christians in their consciences will come to different conclusions of how to get there and probably christians working together with different perspectives will create something different in in how to get there right and so that's why if you voted for trump or not that's right I, i'm not going to cast that in the like frame of like that's sin whereas voting for someone who's going to support and wants to fight for legalizing abortion like the wisconsin governor like pastor michael has already mentioned would be sinful. Um, now you tell me who seems. Let me let me move on to something else. Now that I've agreed with Canswell prior on something, who is the what group is more seeming to idolize politics? The group that's like we live in a fallen world. We have two parties that are both pretty crappy. But you know what? This one will give us this thing that is so fundamental to what it means to be a human, what it means to have a civil magistrate with any credibility for what we need to do to protect children. We will, we are going to go that way. Or the person who says there is not a candidate that meets my standard by which they will be my standard bearer. After I slept in front of the Supreme court. And after I've, I've done everything, these parties are horrible we need to recreate them we need to have a pro-life candidate who supports all of these other policies that none of them do that is what we need to do which of those do you truly think sounds like they are more likely to idolize politics that's that is uh brutal that's that's what i'd say that's brutal and, and i'm fine that 
she's reacting against this the the fact that the moral majority was actually really good at politics and actually did gain power and that that did have some pretty distasteful results right that that is true that's that's fine um but i don't i i met i i know a lot of people who once or twice reluctantly voted for trump because of the kinds of things scott klusendorf said i know very few people that i would consider the trump cult people mm-hmm. um but man the idolization of politics it's a it's a it's a big thing to call out and and here's the here is the the interesting thing that with this thought experiment you came you you put out pastor michael the question ends up having to be how many people does tgc have to convince to just sit down and not vote to sway elections of evangelicals well there's you know this problem on this side and this on this side maybe it's safer yeah, think about yeah, think about it in terms of the 2016 election, for instance. Um, you know, Donald Trump won by a very slim majority in just a couple of states. That's what turned it for him, right? You just you need a very small handful of people, um, th- you know, th- nationally speaking, uh, in order to turn that election. Now, yep. that's it's a lot different now, maybe. Um, because we do have the most popular president in history who has shattered uh, the you know record yep. uh, the record vote of uh, Barack Obama. Um, Joe Biden has just, I mean his I mean the, 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 his fan base and his voter base is just unbelievable. And so that's obviously that's going to be harder now. It's a, yep. it doesn't shift things as much uh, what the evangelicals do, but um, at least. At least in, in certain elections, we know that it could have shifted things. And, if you and, get down to the local level, on, lo- on, on you know, especially now that Roe's been overturned, when you deal with issues on like the, the state level with governors and um, with state legislatures, which is where this battle now is being fought, um, that is, or not maybe not the only place, but one of the main places now being fought, um, that is a place that you need a very small amount of people yes. to shift those votes. And and so again, what I think the caution needs to be, the actual caution as Christians face this, perhaps the answer is, and I think this is something towards what Scott was getting at, is the the decision to say, well, I'm sitting out, right? Man, this guy is a jerk. Man, this guy is pro-abortion. Maybe I just sit out. Um, could be the right decision. Right. I'm not saying that's necessarily the wrong decision, but you need to know that decision isn't like the easy out. Like, that's not the like, well, if I'm not sure, just do this. That is you are opting out of a decision that could result in the saving or ending of human life. And so opting out needs to be just as questioned and as defended as voting for Trump or voting for Biden would have been um, or vote, especially now that we're talking about in local elections, the idea that you would opt out is, is something that, that like, is not like, well, that makes sense. I get that. It's hard. No, it, it should be questioned just as much. Um, and that doesn't mean it's wrong in every case, just like, um, voting for Trump or not voting for Trump was wrong in every case. But I, I just think that this idea that this is my, I, the ironic thing of this, like, well, just preach the gospel, right? It, there's this, it's this weird turn of like, well, just preach, just preach the gospel. And, you know, but we want you to be politically engaged, but you don't really need to vote. I, I it's the, like, it's the weirdest conglomeration of, of, of how a Christian should interact with their community. We're not saying just preach the gospel. We do want you to be engaged civilly. Also, maybe you don't need to vote. Who knows? I mean, it's really hard to know. Like, right, the basics a, an American Christian should be doing is praying for their leaders, voting, and contacting someone in elected office to, like, talk to them and pray for them and tell them what they care about. 
the end. Like, if you did that, I'd be like, wow, you got like an A on the Christian civics exam. Yep. But I don't know. All right. Well, let's 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 finish it out. We got we got less than three minutes left. Just a moment left. And I want to because y'all are you know, we are clearly on the same team when, when it comes down to it. You, you've reiterated that more than any other debater so far. Um, and I appreciate that about y'all. What to take that one step farther? What is the most compelling thing that your opponent has said tonight <laughs> to you? Um, I think Karen- I truly do not know what Scott is going to say. Let me be, be clear, everyone. Like I, I cannot come up with what Scott is about to say. <laughs> Scott, please say the answer: nothing. And no, nothing. At best, she has agreed with me. Karen <laughs> makes just an excellent point that rhetorically we need to be willing to do the linking. And that was one of my opening statements. And hey, he did it, Pastor Michael. The best thing she did in this debate was agree with something in my opening <laughs> statement. And that's how I did in my opening statement. Oh, good. That's, that's awesome. That's all to you, Scott. Uh, she affirmed that, but but took it a little further. And I, I'm in agreement. I think there is room for that. Look, we can make compelling pro-life arguments that link to historical examples of human atrocities that then link those atrocities to what's happening to the unborn in a very compelling way. I mean, think of the story, for example, of Atabanga, the African man who was put in a cage with a monkey at the Bronx Zoological Garden by followers of Charles Darwin. And he was encouraged to play with a monkey in there. This is what happens when you treat human dignity as merely attributed rather than intrinsic. And pro-lifers can use historical examples like these, and they ought to. We ought to be quoting Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail and talking about creative extremism, where we actually work to change this culture. And part of that creative extremism that King talked about was linking to historical matters that are parallel to the current issue at hand. So I, I appreciate that. I think that's good. And and I'm going to walk away from this debate going, you know, I made that point, but she actually pressed me to to even take it further. And rhetorically, I'm all on board. <laughs> wow. Uh, I almost, is it a diss? Is what he's doing actually a diss? Because he did mention it was in my opening statement, but then that last line, but maybe rhetorically, I should take it further. <laughs> Which, if you follow out what KSP has been doing, that means you don't have to actually do anything. I know. <laughs> I, I wonder if he, I wonder. I don't think that's true, but I, I, I want to think that he's just doing that sly little move. <laughs> and which of them rhetorically demonstrated how you can link to other clear issues of right and wrong, like? Who demonstrated? One of, right, one of them did that. One of them did that the whole time. That's what that. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Um, it not, I don't know if frustrating is the right word. It's just, it, it just bothers me. Um, maybe KSP's answer will be, well, after listening to Scott, I've decided I'm going to resign from teaching rhetoric, um, or <laughs> speaking publicly. I don't. <laughs> Karen. That's so moving because Arabanga uh, lived in the city, um, near me and is buried a few miles. His, yeah. his burial, burial site was just recently marked. Um, and I also have voted in the courthouse, um, that, uh, and lived just a mile from it where, um, the fa infamous case Buck versus Bell was, uh, originated, um, that forced sterilization on, on so many, um, women and men. Um, and what, what answer? What a, all right. Is the one that um, Hitler modeled his own eugenics program on. And so as you talk about all these issues, and, and I just mentioned more issues, it actually deepens my um, commitment to what you said about organizations and ministries being mission-minded and, and having a specific goal and sticking to that. Yeah. That's really important. And what's missing is that... Um, we are all called to do something, right? And so we, before God, should um, be sure that we're responding to his call. I did not choose to become 
pro-life or anti-abortion. If I were picking issues, I know my personality and I would pick some other issues, but I just believe that God just put that fire in me and he called me to this issue. And um, I think he calls a lot of us, he calls us all to to um, something. And so maybe what the church really needs to do is to support one another in fulfilling those God-given callings so that we can work beside one another. We can't all do everything, but we can certainly um, all help one another fulfill the, the purpose that God has called us to. Well, I'm thankful for your bo- for you both. There's a lot of talking going on out there, a lot of talking on TV, talking on social media, but you two aren't just talking, you're doing it. And we're very grateful for all the work that you're doing and that you would give us this time here in this debate. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, in the 50th minute, a uh, knockout by TKO, Scott Klusendorf, when Paulo <laughs> Pryor said, I think we need to make sure these organizations continue to be mission-oriented primarily, as in narrowly womb narrowly womb that's yep. what their mission is um i i that did that sounded like a well yeah that's uh yeah. you were right i just want other christians like me to be able to talk about other things and not vote for uh, trump well, it's such a weird man it's so weird it seems to me almost like somebody who spends too much time reading like the new york times and christianity today and things like that that just bring up Oh, evangelicals are at it again. There they go. Those pro-life evangelicals that at the same time are, you know, doing all these evil things. It just, it strikes me as somebody that reads a lot of that stuff, but isn't, isn't as actively involved right now. And I could be wrong about that. I'm not saying that she's not in some way. I just, that's, that's how that rhetoric (laughs) comes across to me. It comes across as somebody who's not dealing with real people because I've never met somebody that says, Hey, um, you can't be involved in any cause except for the pro-life movement. Right. I've never met anybody like that. Never now, been. what I will say is that when you try to draw moral equivalency, like we've talked about over and over, um, to something else, very often you're going to be wrong. There may be other moral moral equivalencies, right? Like where somebody else is being killed. Right. Uh, when when people are being murdered en masse by law or like, you know, with within the bounds of the law, um, then at that point we, then we have something that may be morally equivalent, but even then, right. You're not dealing with children. You're like, yep. this is a particularly heinous issue. Yep. That's why it matters so much. Um, and it, yeah, again, the reason that so many don't like that, it's such a, a, like an issue of being like single issue voters, um, are often right. Like they're, they're doing that around this issue. The reason they don't like that is because it has brought about the election of a lot of a particular party that at least in rhetoric, and this is where, you know, it it may be true that it's not as much on the ground always, um, has been against abortion. And so um, as long as that's the case, I I don't know what else is going to happen. I'd like to bring up two things. So what you you just said is when we talk about voting uh, for, you know, to be frank, Republicans and because their rhetoric is pro-life. So what you're saying is the problem actually isn't primarily the rhetoric, but it's actually that there isn't real life action to back up that rhetoric. And where that is lacking is where actual bad things and bad results and bad votes come from. Yes. Yes, I am, Matt. Why do you ask? (laughs) I also, I'll just pick one other thing from the right uh so everyone can learn that i am totally fair-minded i've recently heard some people punch right map just do it punch right i've just heard some people on the right political commentators and others talk about the the vax mandates and some of the COVID things being the true pro-life crisis of of our not our time um and and again they're talking about bodies they're talking about things they think are harmful whatever i get it but no, sorry. Once again, we have we have lost the plot. Um, and again, they're doing it on the right specifically because they know if you can link something to pro life, you can rile up people. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, now I will end my comments by throwing just a tiny bit of shade at the moderator, who we know hasn't doesn't 
right? Who who liked Michael's wife in uh, celebrating drug dealers and the lifestyles <laughs> they choose isn't always listening. That's on the first part, by the way. If you haven't listened to that, go back to the first part. I told a little story. My wife doesn't actually like drug dealers. <laughs> she just sometimes doesn't hear them over the loud whirring in a ferry and just says, oh, cool, when they say that they sell pot. <laughs> we all do this when someone says things and we're like, oh, nice. But it's just, it's just again, a little bit funny that the moderator ends with, you know, I'm thankful that not everyone here is just about talking. There's a lot of talk going on. <laughs> I'm glad you're all about the doing. After one of our esteemed debaters spent the entire time said, this is all about what we're saying, what we need to say. And again, this is, this is like... That, it feels like a setup. It feels like a setup, doesn't it? It feels like a setup. It does. It, I mean, like, it feels... The last five minutes of this feel like unintentional parody where they're all like... <laughs> They should only be narrowly womb. And yeah, we don't want to just talk about this. Oh, yeah, you're right. I was right the whole time. <laughs> uh, well, let's not just talk about this. Let's do something. You know, <laughs> what, a, what a what a what an ending. But I do think again, I just think as you think about this, this is this is the when we talk about fruit, when we talk about the 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 show me your faith by your works. Like we are getting to the principle of what is the fruit that is born out of what you're doing and saying and saying you believe. Um, and that's on an, on, on a horizontal level, not before God, which is what James is talking about. The horizontal level, what I can see is what matters. And when, especially when you're getting into something that involves the skill, because politics is a skill, the protection of other people is a skill that we all need to develop more of, right? The ability to protect others is a skill and it involves many different things. Um, maybe guns, depending on where you were in one of our previous debates. But, but this is why it does matter, right? Because the, the people do matter. And I, I, the, I don't know. Will we watch a debate that will surprise me more? I don't think so. Uh, then someone sent me a clip from one and one was like, Hey, which debate was this in? Cause it sounds like an endorsement of the federal vision, which get ready everybody. Cause maybe we'll watch that one this summer, but I don't know, Pastor Michael, any closing thoughts? We gotta, we gotta get out of oh, here. This was, I'm glad to be done. Um, I think this was, I, I, I found it helpful personally because I was able to work out some of um, the reasons why some of this rhetoric just doesn't uh, work in the end. And um, I, I hope it was helpful to those who are listening and those who watch uh, because this is happening more and more. You're going to you hear this stuff more and more you hear in this certain circles. And so it's really important that you understand what it is that's being said and and what the motivation is behind it, which we have in in their own words now. Um, and we can we can then discuss it on the merits of those words. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the live stream for this event. Thank you to my computer, which stopped lagging, allowing us to do this. Thank you to our patrons who so generously support us. Go check out our Patreon right now. There's some free trials. We're giving away some KDY books to our newest patrons, which will be great. Uh, we have some episodes about revitalizing dying churches, assuming that sounded okay. We just recorded that. We have a purely Presbyterian about what it means to contend for the worship at GA. If that's your speed. That costs a little bit more than our three ninety nine starting place. Three bones, four bones, gets you in, gets you into our Patreon chat. We are having a good time, hanging out. Pie did make it better, everybody. I'll make it clear. The pie, that, that sealed it for me tonight.